Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be here. Uh, thank you for choosing to come and to hear something of the story of street pastors. So town centres are only one context. As I speak to you this morning, hopefully you will see that street pastors is also operating in very residential areas, as well as town centres like that, which you might uh, typically think of. Uh, I want to really begin by uh, thinking of three verses or, or three portions of Scripture. The first is this from Acts chapter 6, and it's really a defining moment in the church because uh, the, the, the disciples at this point can't cope with the numbers who are coming. Um, so they decide uh, that they are going to commission lay members of the church, if you will allow me to use that expression, even though I don't actually think it's biblical, but we'll not go there. I haven't time for a sermon. Uh, they commission seven lay members of the church to actually go out and serve uh, and the disciples are going to reserve themselves for teaching. Now, I think that's important. We need to realize that the ministry in the community is not only for those who preach and teach in our churches. It is for all of us. Uh, the second thought is this uh, from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, that we are to be ambassadors. Now, ambassadors speak the language of the place that they go to. And those who go through street pastor training, and there's around uh, 50 hours of training, spend some time thinking about actually uh, what's going on in the context that they're going to be serving in. An ambassador has to speak the language of the place that they are. But they better know and understand and be passionate about the kingdom that sends them. And that's what goes on with street pastors. People who are passionate about the kingdom of God who are prepared to take the time to learn the language of the street and go out there and let people actually touch the kingdom of God. And that brings me to the third portion of Scripture. When John wrote this letter, he was an elderly man. The church was experiencing severe persecution, and he writes this as a letter of encouragement. And he reminds the church, he said, Do you remember what it was like when we first seen Jesus? Do you remember what it was like when we first heard him? But here's the bit that really gets to me in this verse. Do you remember what it was like when we touched him? Now, the truth of the matter is, if we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, if we are walking temples for God, if we are literally a walking sacrament on our communities, when we go out into the community, people have an opportunity to touch the kingdom of God. And that's a powerful thing that God's doing. Uh, so I just want to play you another short video. This is J. John. Some of you may have read uh, some of J. John's work, or you may have seen him in the past. But J. John here is summarizing what I believe church is all about. People often say to me, they say, J. John, you know, what, what do you do? Uh, it's always very difficult to know what to say. Because if I say to you that I'm a reverend, which I am, that conjures up certain images in people's minds as to what I might be. So I like to be a little bit creative in telling people what I do. I sat next to this lady on an aeroplane at Heathrow Airport. And I said, hello. And she said, oh, hello. And I said, where are you going? And she says, I'm going to Singapore. Then she said to me, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Australia. I said, what do you do? So she told me. Then she said, what do you do? And I said, well, <laughs> I work for a global enterprise. She said, do 
you? I said, yes, I do. I said, we've got outlets in nearly every country of the world. <laughs> she said, have you? I said, yes, we have. I said, we've got hospitals and hospices and homeless shelters. I said, we do marriage work. We've got orphanages. We've got feeding programs, educational programs. I said, we do all sorts of justice and reconciliation things. I said, basically, we look after people from birth to death and we deal in the area of behavioral alteration. <laughs> She went, wow! <laughs> and it was so loud, her wow, loads of people turned around and looked at us. She says, what's it called? <laughs> I said, it's called the church. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know about you, but that's part of the... That's the church that I want to be a part of. The church that actually makes a difference in people's lives. So let's stop talking about church for a moment and talk about community. These are some statistics prepared by the Reverend Philip Core, a Presbyterian minister who did some research for Evangelical Alliance, looking at people's responses in the uh, Northern Ireland census uh, to the question of faith. In the 1963 census, you can see 46% uh, of Protestants declared themselves that they went to church weekly. By the time you get to the 2003 census, it's down to 34%. Now, we only see the census results 10 years after they're completed, so we won't see the 2013 census until 2023. I want to suggest when we get it, that number will have fallen off a cliff edge in terms of the number of people going to church. In 63, 2% of them, people declared that they had uh, no, religious, uh, no religious faith as such. By 2003, it's 14%. I hate to think what the 2013 one is going to show us in terms of the people who have no particular religious faith or belief. Uh, Philip interviewed people in working class Protestant areas of Belfast and he asked them three basic questions. Um, how many Gospels are there? Can you name the Trinity? And what's the first commandment? Only one-third of them knew that there were four Gospels. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that reasonably shocking. Only around a half were able to name the Trinity, and only a quarter could actually state what the first commandment was. My contention this morning is Northern Ireland is no longer a Christian country. We need to face the fact we've had 1,600 years of Christendom from Constantine declared himself a Christian until the end of the 20th century. We could sit in our religious spaces and people would come to us. We were in a Christian Europe, in a Christian Britain, and in a Christian Ireland. That is no longer the case. And we as the church need to be honest about that. And think about how we actually do church in a post-Christian era. And that's why, and I'm making no comments on the individual cases, but I flashed up there the, the, the uh, Asher's case and uh, Pastor McConnell, who ended up in court over something he said in a sermon about Islam. My point to you is this. Ten years ago in Northern Ireland, those court cases wouldn't have happened. Northern Ireland is changing, and we can no longer sit in our churches and expect people to come to us because they're not going to come.
And anyway, Jesus didn't say wait. <laughs> Jesus said go. Uh, street pastors, let's get to the point. Uh, this is the Reverend Les Isaac. Uh, Les is Caribbean. Uh, and uh, in his ministry in Jamaica, uh, he and the fellow clergy were seeing an average of 38 murders a day in Kingston, mostly drug-related. So they decided to go out and they would actually walk as clergy in those communities. And he saw the impact that had. In 2003, uh, he found himself ministering in a fairly uh, rough area of London. And it was a bit like if you've ever seen the film Sister Act. He had this church inside the gates, which was a lovely Christian church community. Meanwhile, outside the gates, sort of merry hell was going on. People were burning cars at night. There was drugs. There was all sorts of stuff. Uh, and the, he and his church were concerned about that. So Les remembered the Kingston thing about going for a walk, and he asked the congregation, would you be prepared to walk the streets of the community on a Friday and a Saturday night with me? But we're not going to, you know the way we do in church, we take six months to plan a two-week mission. And then we do it. And then we spend six months talking about how wonderful it all was. And then we might do another one. Les said, once we start, we don't stop. We keep going until either we get promoted to glory or Jesus comes back. We're out there once we, the community need to know we're not going to stop. We're going to be there. Well, 13 of them, um, I believe, started, mostly women. The men hung back to see if the ladies came back alive. And I don't know whether that's cardus or common sense or what it is. I'll let you decide. Anyway, from those uh, 13 initial volunteers, it has certainly grown a lot. But here was what they wanted to know. They wanted to know, when they met people in the street, what can we as a church do? What is it as church we can actually do to help you? So I'm going to take you on a quick tour of the UK here, flashing through some maps. All the little red dots are where there now are street pastor schemes. So east of England, uh, and you can see them all there. Then we have uh, the Midlands, and quite a few street pastors around there. Uh, north of England, quite a few there. And the south uh, east of England, Down the southwest, the old Cornish Riviera. Bonnie, Scotland. Uh, and there is uh, a scheme even up in Orkney now, with a stand outside the one pub, probably. <laughs> uh, Wales. If you know Wales, there's nothing actually in the middle of Wales. It's an entirely different type of pastor that's needed there. Uh, Jersey, uh, street pastors in St. Helier. Uh, London, where Les first started it, there are street pastors now nearly every borough of London. Uh, Barbuda and Antigua, nice posting. Uh, Australia, uh, also, and there are now two schemes in Australia. Uh, so, uh, from those original 13, there are now around 250 street pastor schemes, uh, 14,000 trained street pastors and it's spreading to other countries. You'll see some little blue pins uh, on the island of Ireland. There are four schemes in Northern Ireland presently, uh, and that's uh, Coleraine Street Pastors here, Newton Abbey Street Pastors who operate in Rathcool uh, and around the housing estates of Newton Abbey. R Rathcool was the largest housing estate in Europe 
uh, until the end of the 1980s. Um, it's, a, it's a big residential area. Belfast Street Pastors who operate in Belfast City Centre and Cork Street Pastors. Uh, I just want to quickly talk about the structure of it, not to go into any detail on it, but simply to say to you um, that before we put people, quite often your granny or your granda on the street at two o'clock in the morning, <laughs> there is actually a good structure around this. Uh, so Street Pastors UK provide uh, the training course, which the street pastors do. They provide public liability insurance, which covers all of the street pastors and prayer pastors and the scheme that we have. Um, and they provide coordination across the country. If you meet a street pastor in Melbourne, Australia, or one in Coleraine, they will be trained to the same standard, wearing the same uniform and insured. So there is good structure behind and governance behind this. Uh, each local scheme then has its own management committee made up of leaders from the local churches. Street Pastors UK does not, does not try to control what you do locally. Your local management committee have the freedom to pray and to find their own mission. Uh, then we have our coordinator there, a bit like the sergeant major. The coordinator does the rota every month, make sure that people who are on know when they're on, any training that's needed that that happens, uniform, etc. cetera. Uh, and then, of course, we have our street pastors and our prayer pastors. So what's it actually like out there? Um, I'm 50 this year, I hate to admit. So uh, it had been a long time since I had been on the streets at night. And I was a bit apprehensive the first night I went out. And I think Heather, for those of you who heard Heather early in the week, actually told the story of my first encounter when a guy said to me, so are you with Jesus then, mate? And I said, yes, I am. And so are the other three. <laughs> Um, and then he said, uh, so you're with the church then, what took the church so long? That was the first question I got as a street pastor, what took the church so long? Um, it wasn't as I imagined it would be. Now there's a lot of people out at night who are not drunk, it's not all about people who are, you know, being excessive in their behaviour. Um, in the Belfast context, we had 8.2 million tourists last year. On any given Friday or Saturday night, there will be 30,000 tourists in our hotels. And they get lost. They come out for a restaurant, go to a restaurant, and then can't remember where their hotel is or whatever. You know, and, and we'll get lovely conversations with them. But there are some, particularly young people, who push it too far. And in one way, they're very streetwise. In another way, they're actually very naive. They don't really appreciate where this can end up. Um, I remember walking around the corner uh, into Ormo Avenue one evening and there was a young girl sitting in a slip of a dress and nothing on her feet, lying against the wall of what, I can never keep up, the hotel has changed its name about six times. It was the Holiday Inn, I think it's now the Clayton, opposite the BBC. Slip of a dress, nothing on her feet, and something just didn't look right. And we find time and time again, God just puts that team of four people bang where they need to be just at the right time that they need to be there. That, keep, that keeps happening. And this was one of those occasions. So we walked over and there was two men with her, one about my age and a younger guy. And I said to the younger guy, is this your girlfriend? And he said, yeah, uh, yeah, it's my girlfriend. And I said, what's her name? And the pause just goes on too long while they think of something. So he said to me, her name's Jessica. Now it turned out her name wasn't Jessica at all. And the doorman came over and he said, 
10 minutes ago she was sober. I think they've given her something. And the older man at that point said to a taxi driver who was sitting with the window open, you may go on, mate, we don't need you. And the two female street pastors took her into the hotel. Now, that young girl, if we hadn't been there, was into the back of that taxi with whatever they had given her. Um, the young people are naive. They don't always think that when they make themselves so vulnerable, that's the sort of thing that can happen. We're uh, good at handing out the flip-flops. Um, they're, they're a wonderful thing. We refuse to take any money from them. People will often want to pay for them or make a donation. We won't take them because it's an opportunity to explain to them that the love of God is free. You know, God loves you. Just put them in your feet. They insist on walking around in their bare feet. I see all the street pastors nodding. You know, and the boyfriend's still trying to look macho while carrying a pair of 10-inch high heels. You know, it's not really a good look. But we'll get them into the flip-flops. Um, and those often start some really good conversations. It's clearly a lot windier in Coleraine than it is in Belfast. I'm glad I'm a Belfast street pastor. That looked absolutely freezing. Uh, Newton Abbey, uh, there's another context again, uh, very residential. Uh, you'll see the photograph there in the top right, sitting at McDonald's. And I remember going out in those first patrols, and the kids all sat on one side of McDonald's looking suspiciously at us, and we sat, uh, I see a few uh, Newton Abbey people nodding. Um, but the relationships built in that place, and, and within, they used to close the restaurant at 9 o'clock at night because of the antisocial behaviour, and it was drive through only. And within three weeks of the street pastor starting that open 24 hours, because it just changed the nature of what went on in the place. Um, it's remarkable when God shows up, um, and he just needs his people actually to go. Uh, so just another very, uh, very quick video. This is Arthur. Arthur is normally very sensible. Um, Arthur is uh, the clerk of session of May Street Presbyterian Church in Belfast, a chartered town planner and a very serious man. My phone ran out of memory at that point. Arthur ran his moves. But here's the thing. That is on one of the worst community interfaces in Belfast, in North Belfast, on the Old Park Road, uh, right on the edge of Ardoin, where hardline loyalist neighbourhood meets hardline Republican neighbourhood. And as an experiment, we took a team of street pastors out onto the interface for three nights to see what would happen. And the kids came to us like magnets. Um, from both sides of the community. We have an ability when we go out there that God prepares a way and God opens doors. We can be the neutral player. We can be the agents of peace in some of our most difficult situations. And really what I want to say is there's nowhere that the church can't walk. And actually, my experience is when we're brave enough to go, Against all our expectations, we are welcomed. So in a typical evening, we meet and pray, get our equipment ready. Uh, teams of no less than three, but preferably four. Uh, depending on which scheme you're at, you might start at 8 p.m. You'll start no later than 11 p.m. You might be finished by midnight, or if it's in Belfast, you might be finished at 3 in the morning. Um, we have our prayer teams, and, and Helen's going to talk about prayer, so um, I, I'll not go into that. And then we uh, debrief. But essentially, it's about caring, listening, and helping. Uh, to be a street pastor, uh, you do need to be 18. 
though there's no maximum age, this is Granny Pastor, as she is affectionately known in Street Pastors, now retired. In fact, that was her retirement due, and she's with Les there. Any guesses on what age Granny Pastor is? Higher. Higher. 94. She really got to the point where she couldn't walk and she just sat on the edge of the curb in Plymouth and all the young girls would gather around her and they did just call her granny. And that's what this is about. It's about taking your parenting skills or taking your grandparenting skills and showing some love to other people's children who maybe don't have the benefit that you have and that your family has. Uh, you do need to be a church member and you need to give us one evening a month and you need to undertake the training. Here's Terry in Scotland. She's only 85. Um, I want to very quickly mention Town Centre Chaplain's name, and then I'm going to hand over to Helen. There is now a growing uh, number of Town Centre Chaplaincy schemes across Great Britain. This one's in Luton. Um, it's a bit like street pastors during the day. They will have uniformed teams out in the town centre, um, but they also embed chaplains in major retail stores, uh, in public transport stations and even in the courts. Uh, so, uh, for example, if you were to take Belfast, there would be a chaplain in Victoria Square and there would be a chaplain in Castle Court. There would be a chaplain in Glengall Street bus station. Uh, in Luton, the courts came to them, the family courts came to them and asked for two chaplains every day to sit in the family court and just be there for people who were upset. Uh, so just to give you a little bit of headline news, um, the Methodist Church have now given, per well, given me permission to set up Belfast City Centre Chaplaincy. Um, so I hope that that will be online by June of 2018. Um, and beware, I'm looking for chaplains <laughs> as well as street pastors. So my name is Helen Hunter. I'm part of the Coleraine Street Pastors team here. And uh, so it's a privilege just to talk to you for a few minutes um, about prayer and uh, what we do. So actually in Coleraine, we've got a team of about 65 street pastors and about 20 prayer pastors. Um, we're very blessed, but we're always looking for more. And the same goes for the other teams across the country. Um, and uh, so I just want to spend a bit of time talking to you about prayer. The bit that most people would have maybe heard of street pastors, hopefully you would have heard of if you'd come across the name of street pastors before you came to the seminar. Now you know a lot more, thanks to Angie's brilliant presentation. Um, and, uh, but I want to talk to you about prayer pastors, which is the bit that is not so well known, um, but equally really important part of what we do at street pastors. Um, so these words um, from Matthew chapter 9, for me, really sum up the work of street pastors. Um, we read this about Jesus. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest fields. And I just, I love these verses because it feel like it really sums up what we do as street pastors. Jesus saw the crowds and he was moved with compassion. And that's what it means to be a street pastor. We're moved we see the lost and the broken. We see what's going on when move. Love looks like something. 
love looks like action. It looks like getting out on the streets and doing something with what God has given us. Um, and, uh, and it's only actually when you step out on the streets and outside your church doors that you realize that actually the harvest is plentiful, that there is a lot going on. Um, and who did we know? We didn't know until we stepped out and realized actually what is there and what's on our doorstep all along. And that there are a great many people who need to hear about Jesus and know him at work in their lives. And also the other part of that is Jesus instructs them to ask the Lord of the harvest um, for the workers. And that's where prayer comes in. So this is the two-sided coin um, that we also value and see the importance of prayer. Jesus asks them, pray, pray that the Lord would send more workers into the fields. Um, And um, so at Street Pastors, we highly value the work of prayer. Um, We believe in the power of prayer. We see God at work all the time through prayer, um, as well as what we're doing on the streets. And, uh, and we just, we know that, don't we, that we have access to our Heavenly Father, who has the divine solutions for all of the problems of the situations that we face on the streets. And that's what prayer is all about. Um, and, uh, I like to think of um, street passes a bit like this. This is a good North Coast analogy for you guys. Um, when I look, I wander the beaches here and I look and I see the lifeguards in operation. Um, I see the lifeguards and some of the team are right by the water's edge. They're standing, they've got the equipment, they're ready, they're watching, they're ready to respond at a moment, jump in the water to somebody to help rescue what's going on and the water and somebody's stranded. Um, but the other part of the team is also there, but they're standing at the back of the beach. They've got their binoculars out. They're watching. They're looking around. They're seeing the whole picture and looking across the beach. And they're in communication between each other um, so that if there's somebody who is right on the water's edge here, but there's a problem over here, they can be calling them, you need to get over there right now. There's this going on. And that's how I see street pastors. That's exactly an illustration of what happens with us. Our street pastors teams are on the water's edge. They're like the lifeguards who are standing right in the middle of the action. But our prayer pastors are the ones who are back at base, who are praying for the guys, and they're the ones who've got the bigger picture. So they're able to say, this is what's going on there, or this is what we feel God is saying and directing them and helping to work together. Two sides, valuable sides of the same coin. So prayer pastoring um, is really significant part of the work of street pastors. And you might have been listening to what Andrew said and thought, that's amazing, but that's not for me. I couldn't get out on the streets. But prayer might be your thing. Prayer might be something, actually, I could do that. And that is something that I could communicate and something that I could give to street pastors. And Les Isaacs last year, when he was at a meeting with the Home Office, um, they said, the atmosphere changes when street pastors are out. Um, Now, you and I know that's them trying to communicate in words what we know to be true, that actually, of course, the atmosphere changes because we carry Jesus with us. And so we carry Jesus into the darkness and the light of Jesus. And of course, the darkness has to flee. Things have to change. Um, And also, the truth is that we are the church. I think earlier on, on Tuesday night, I am we heard about the church as one, you know, unity, that we're not different denominations, but that we're one. And as street pastors, we are that. We come from all different churches, all different backgrounds. And in the Psalms, it says, when brothers dwell together in unity, it commands a blessing. And so that is also very true. As we step out together to minister into our towns, we see God at work. But also we have this wonderful secret weapon that we call prayer. 
um, access to God at any time, covering our street pastors for their protection and interceding for those who they're meeting on the streets, praying for the, the people that are coming and we're hearing the names of this person in that situation or that we need an ambulance here or this has happened, there's a fight's broken out. Um, and sometimes the need is practical. Sometimes the need is very much ministered to by our street pastors. Sometimes it's emotional. Sometimes it's a listening ear. But sometimes it's spiritual. And there's good spiritual conversation that happens. And sometimes all we can do is pray. We've tried all those different things, but actually we can do nothing but just stand and pray and watch God move. And time and time again, we see God doing that. Um, and uh, so we, part of what we do in Coleraine Street Pastors is um, on um, occasions we partner with the police and uh, the PSNI have asked us to work alongside them with some of the local football matches that happen in Coraine. And when they're the local ones, often there's a clash um, between local, so potentially violence and likely to escalate. Um, and uh, on one of those occasions, our street pastors, um, when it was starting to kick off, um, two of our street pastors were seeing punches being thrown at the police and at that point as street passers we step back um, when violence starts to happen and often we step back because we're letting the police get involved but at this instance they were like what do we do and so the two of them just stood together and prayed and said God bring your peace and immediately it dissolved and the violence went and dissipated and we see that time and time again God at work in the middle of what's going on and we have an amazing police chief inspector here um, who is not a believer yet as far as we know but we see God at work in his heart and he was just he is just moved by the power of prayer and the fact that we're praying for the PSNI um, and that we are covering them in prayer as much as we are our street pastors and uh, in the middle of all of one of those football matches when it was getting quite hairy and he knew more information than we knew about what might be coming he turned to one of our street passes and was like have a word with the big man would you um and um so we have a really good relationship um with him and what we're doing in the local level so what do prayer pastors do um so i'm going to tell you about Corain in the context of each one as um, Andrew has said every base operates slightly differently, but I'm just going to tell you what we do in Corain. So our prayer pastors um, gather in base um, on the night. When street pastors are gathering, we will pray with the team before they go out. We will spend the entire shift that they are out on the streets in the base praying for them and, and drinking coffee and eating biscuits and all those things as well. Um, and, and then we will be praying for them when they come back in at the end of the night too. And the requirement to be a prayer pastor is exactly the same as to be a street pastor, um, that we require the same things, that you're committed to a church, that you love Jesus, that you're committed um, to the area that you love, the young people that are going out in the area, that you attend training, and that you commit to once a month to be on rota um, to pray. And, um, and so a lot of people ask me, because our shifts can be three or four hours long, how on earth do you pray for that length of time? What do you, how do you fill that time? I wouldn't even know where to start. Um, but the extraordinary thing is, do you know what, that time actually goes pretty quickly. And one of the reasons for that is that we are, like I said to you, that picture of the lifeguards, we are in contact with our team constantly. So the team are on the phone to us every half an hour or so. They're reporting in, they're telling us, this is where we're at, this is what's going on. These are the names of the young people we've just had an amazing conversation with. Actually, a fight has just broken out. Can you pray for that? We need an ambulance. Please pray that that comes quickly. We need taxis. One of the frequent 
prayer requests for us is taxis. We need taxis. And honestly, it is a thrill and a privilege because sometimes it's the simplest things, but you'll get a phone call. Please, can you pray for a taxi? There's no taxis coming. Put down the phone, you pray. Two minutes, 10 minutes later, the phone rings again. Thank you so much. The taxis arrived. And so continuously we see God answering prayer in the small things and in the big things Um, and uh, um, one of those things that I just love is that it builds up faith it builds up your expectation that we have a God who is wanting to meet the needs of the broken and the vulnerable who are out on the streets he cares and that you see him and so it grows your faith grows your prayer life as you spend time doing this and praying together I don't know one prayer shift where I haven't seen immediate answers to prayer um, as I have been on it Um, and um, so if you want to grow in your prayer life become a prayer pastor that's what I'm saying Um, and um, because God is amazing and I just want to share another story with you when I was on um, prayer um, a while ago now and I was on prayer we were that night um, as you saw some of the pictures from Coleraine of the, the foil blankets and the wind, that was at Kelly's nightclub. Um, the teams were out on the Saturday night and we were praying away. And as we were praying for the two of us, we just kept coming back to this issue of drugs. And we were like, there's something about, we're like, God, will you expose the drug situation? Will you expose what's going on there? Um, for maybe most of you know, but Kelly's is a well-known underage um, establishment for young people. I think the youngest we've found as street pastors who, who's going there has been 14. Um, and, um, and so we know that that's something, and we know that drugs is a big issue in Kelly's. Um, but that particular night, God was really putting it on our hearts. Lord, expose the drugs. Would you expose what's going on? And then we were hearing stories coming back in from the street pastors. There was quite a lot of police activity. There was a lot of stuff going on. Um, but it was Um, only the next day when I was um, looking at the local news that I saw um, that actually the night before there had been an operation put in place by the PSNI um, and in conjunction with the nightclub um, to actually crack down on the drugs that night. Um, And so they had been there and they had been raiding and doing arrests and 14 young people were arrested and a significant amount of drugs were seized. So just the power and privilege that we get to not only stand and pray for our street pastors but inadvertently we're also praying for the guys who are trying to make the place a safer environment in the long run as well and uh, so that is what a prayer pastor looks like Um, and on on a slightly more humorous note you be careful what you pray for when we've been praying for one night I was praying for expose God exposing things and exposing the drugs and one of our street pastors came back in at the end of the night and I was like and she was like well this happened and that happened I was like oh praise Jesus that's amazing and we were praying for exposure and she's like you were praying for exposure. Okay, that would explain why there were several men wandering around with their trousers around their ankles. <laughs> so, <laughs> you have to be careful what you pray for. Um, we also have prayer partners in Coleraine. We, we also, as well as the guys who are praying and come to base, um, we also have what we call prayer partners so that every one of our street pastors, we ask that they have at least three people who are praying for them specifically. And so these people are somebody who knows them, somebody who's related to them, somebody so they can be across the world, but we have different people who will pray. So specifically, every street pastor, when they go out, they will contact their prayer partners. 
business and they will say, please pray for me tonight, I'm going out on the streets. And people might say that's belt and braces, but we want to know that every single one of our street pastors is covered. We're covering their prayer life, their home life, their personal life, that they're covered. And then we are specifically praying for the situations as they come about. Um, and, uh, and then finally, um, we also have a corporate time of prayer together so if you're in Coleraine on the local area um, and you're interested in street pastors then uh, and you're interested in prayer then come into our monthly prayer time it's just one hour on the last Friday of the month um, is a real opportunity to get connected in and hear a bit more about what's going on um, but one thing I would just like to end with and say is um, that if you're interested but unsure of what to do with street pastors and where to start the best thing to do is taste and see we do what we think I think where we say come out on the streets and observe so come out and observe as a street pastor come to the base and observe as a prayer pastor and see what happens and see how you get on experiencing it for yourself as to whether you want to step in and sign up and and do the training Um, but it is a real joy I have seen many Christians grow in their relationship with Jesus in their prayer life in their confidence as they've been praying out loud with others they've been praying on the streets as they've seen God working in people's young people's lives Um, and um, so it's just an amazing opportunity so why not become a part of that and join either a street pastor or a prayer pastor I'm going to hand back to Angie thank you very much and uh, I'm going to wrap up with one uh, last little video that's the last time we get you out of trouble you just remember that words of gummage? I will. I'll put me remembering it on first thing tomorrow morning. And I thank you both from the bottom of my stomach. And that's something you don't hear every day. Wurzel saying thank you. Do you really want to thank us, Wurzel? Oh, I. You can have me hedgehog hairbrush if you like. We don't want your hedgehog hairbrush. But will you teach us some more Wurzelese? Well, I will that. So long as you don't tell the crow man and get me into bother. Now then, where was we? If you want to speak like me, say the letters separately. Port power, after W, a word after O, and Jalen. With me! Hands up if you remember Wurzel. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I do too. Uh, what. W- what was Wurzel? He was a scarecrow. And what do scarecrows do? Scarecrows. <laughs> Scare birds away. But there are two things that smart crows know. The scarecrow can't harm you. It isn't dangerous. And they also know the scarecrow's out because that's where the harvest is. Smart Christians... The enemy will try and convey to you that street ministry is a dangerous place and to stay away. But smart Christians know there is nothing to be worried about and that's where the harvest is. So uh, I'm just going to say a short prayer and then we're going to open it up for any questions or conversation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks uh, for your infinite love uh, for the world, uh, for our towns, for our families, our neighbors, our colleagues. We thank you, Lord, that in your mission, because it is your mission that you choose to work through us and give give us the privilege 
of serving you. We pray, Lord, now by the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit that you speak to each of our minds and each of our hearts uh, and lead us on the individual journeys uh, that you have for each one of us and on the journeys that you have for our respective congregations. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The floor is open if you would like to ask Helen and I any questions or if you have any comments to make. Or Either stunned into silence or put to sleep. <laughs> okay, well, um, we, we do have some materials uh, here for you if you do want to have some contact details or further information. There is a street pastor stand out in the exhibition, so if you want to have a quiet chat with us in a slightly less public forum, you can do that too. But I just want to thank you. Yes, sorry, hand up. Okay, so we don't hand out tracts. Um, I had a guy come up to me in the street one night and says, go on then, where's your tract? And I said, I don't have one. And he said, what sort of effing Christian are you? Uh, he meant it good-natured, but you, you get it fairly blunt on the street. There's a reason that we don't do that. We are out to give unconditional love. And that means I don't want anything from the person in return for me caring for them. This is not a contract. I'm going to care for you if you read my leaflet. That's not the way it is. I'm going to care for you unconditionally. And I am not asking anything from you, including you take a leaflet from me. What we know is this. When we go out and do what we do, which is absolutely countercultural, every time we are asked, nearly every time, you know, something like, why do you do this? Do you get paid for this, mate? No. It's countercultural. They don't expect it, and therefore that leads to conversations about faith. They will ask you, why do you do this? or some such question, and that will lead into a faith conversation, which, which we have. But we, we do not go out with evangelism on the front. We go out with pastoral care on the front and let the faith conversation evolve. And we find that that is very successful, partly because when they've asked the question, they're more inclined to listen to the answer. Uh, so we do have the faith conversations, but we lead with care. I hope that answers it. We, we find it very effective in terms of evangelism, actually. Do, sorry? No, I can honestly say that um, I started doing this in 2010, um, and I haven't personally been on the wrong end of anything particularly hostile or really even seen it towards a street pastor. Uh, I think the national figures are over the 14,000 street pastors that there have been seven incidents, seven since 2003 with 14,000 people. Um, if somebody starts to get a bit rude or a bit cheeky with us, it inevitably is one of their mates will actually rise up, they're the good people, or some such comment comes out. So... Um, where ban large card for? Yeah, I, I, I personally do have experience of the deliverance ministry, and um, but that context has been in South America, um, where there is a lot of Satan worship and stuff. So I, I personally know exactly what you're talking about, and have been there. We have not real well. Uh, maybe Cole Rain has seen, certainly in Belfast. We haven't seen it manifest itself in Belfast. We just haven't. 
Yes, oh, certainly in terms of training. Um, no, there are four of us. There are four of us, no less than three, normally four, and every street pastor has received 50 hours of uh, training. And that training includes how that team of four work. Each one has a specific role to play in terms of keeping the team safe. Uh, so that they are well trained and if it does kick off and get violent we are not police officers at that point we will step back we, we do not physically engage with people in terms of you know putting them on the ground that's time for a police officer hope, hope that answers the question uh, i can have a chat afterwards if you want to talk more about that Hi, Christine. Um, no, they don't. Um, what's, but they, we do do prayer training, um, and we do ask that our prayer pastors do what uh, like the core training hours, which are called roles and responsibilities, so that they get a taster for what is going on on, on the streets and, and what our street pastors are dealing with. And we also ask that our prayer pastors take a night out on the streets and so they see what the street pastors are dealing with and vice versa, that our new recruits for street pastors have a night in the prayer room so that they see both sides of the coin. Um, and um, so, yes, there is prayer. It's primarily roles and responsibilities and then prayer training for prayer pastoring. I think there's a question coming from the other front. Yes, sir. Yes. Uh, so there are modules at the front end of the training called roles and responsibilities. Uh, and they define what a street pastor does and maybe more importantly what a street pastor doesn't do so a bit like the lady's question where's you know where's the line and when do we actually have to step back uh, we talk in detail about the role of the team of four who's the leader who's the contact person what are the other two doing uh, and we role play all of those and role play them a lot until people are comfortable and know exactly what they're at uh, we will then move on to talk, uh, we'll bring in expert speakers, so the, the local police inspector will come in and spend a training day with us talking about the role of the police and the interaction between street pastors and police. Uh, we will have somebody in from uh, an expert organisation around substance abuse who will talk to the street pastors about alcohol, um, but also talk about drugs. So, you know, I remember in one of the training programmes seeing a group of basically grannies who were in training sitting in the corner talking about uppers and downers. And I'm thinking, what have you done, Andrew, you know? Um, so substance abuse and drugs and alcohol and, and that is well covered. Um, our street pastors are first aid trained. Um, so first aid training uh, comes into it as well. Um, yeah. The Newton Arts, I think it's on the leaflet. Pete, I apologize. I am now, I am now banned from Newton Arts in the Arts Peninsula for 10 years. <laughs> I sincerely apologize. Thank you for rescuing that, Pete. Pete's an old mate of mine. Pete's an airline pilot for Virgin. And Pete and I were flying an airplane once. Wasn't it you in with me? And we landed really hard. And I looked at Pete and I said, that was awful. I was supposed to be the instructor, by the way. And he looked at me and goes, I wasn't flying it. 